And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. As uh, we get ready to wrap it up, weekend, of course. This was a holiday shortened week because of Labor Day on Monday, so just four days of trading. Um, we had talked about in last weekend's newsletter and, and quite often in our daily commentary this past week. So if you go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and click on the daily commentary, you can uh, subscribe to that. We email that to you every morning at 7.30 before the market opens. But we always do a market update every day talking about where the market is, what to kind of expect. And what we've been talking about most of this week is markets were very oversold and you know, we were probably due for a bit of a reflexive rally. You know, after this kind of sell-off we've had over the last couple of weeks, yesterday on the show and in our three minutes on markets and money video, we talked about buying and selling stampedes and how when you have these buying stampedes, ultimately they end and they can last somewhere between 14 and 21 days normally. Uh, sometimes they go longer than that, as we saw here over the last few weeks, uh, you know, going back to July. Um, but those always end, and then you have typically a selling stampede that follows it, and those also last between 14 and 21 days. And so here we are about 14 days into this. Yesterday, got that rally. Markets kind of opened up a little bit sluggish in the morning, not a whole lot going on. And then some, ah, you know, you, you kind of got to say, I guess, better than expected news. I'm not sure. Um, but some news came in yesterday suggesting that, well, you know, the, that inflation might be cooling here just a little bit. Beige Book report had said that businesses are seeing some early signs that inflation may be cooling off here a bit. So that gave the markets a bit of a, a, a boost, hoping that maybe the Fed won't be as aggressive in the future. Now, right now, the Fed is targeting, or I should say Fed Fund futures are suggesting an 80% probability that the Fed will hike 75 basis points at the end of the month. Of course, what the markets will be looking for is like, well, is that all, right? Are they going to stop there? Is that, are they gonna kind of pause at this point? That's what the markets are kind of looking for, hoping for anyway. And so markets rallied very nicely yesterday. But again, you know, we're kind of in a tough spot here. As we talked about here recently, markets were very oversold. Not surprising to see a bit of a reflexive rally, just kind of leaving some of that pressure of just this constant selling that the market's been in under every day. But now we're starting to push up in towards that 50-day moving average, which just above that is sitting the 100-day moving average. So you've got a good bit of resistance sitting in the markets right where we're going to be trying to open up this morning. Might get a little bit more follow-through today. Dow right now looking to open up about 56 points. Um, you know, uh, S&P's up about six. Oil prices sliding uh, this morning as well, down, uh, down a bit more. Uh, got the proverbial death cross in oil prices yesterday as the 50-day cross below the 200-day, suggesting lower oil prices here in the future. Now, oil prices, like the markets, pretty oversold here. So again, won't be surprised if we see a bit of a kind of a counter-trend rally in oil prices, but looks like oil prices are gonna head lower at least uh, for the time being. And that's just kind of what the technicals are suggesting. Um, one other piece of good news here is we've been watching and talking about this MACD cell signal that we have, and that's kind of the moving average convergence divergence indicator. 
and that is actually starting to flatten out here just a little bit. Yesterday's move flattening that signal out just a bit. So if this kind of market kind of uh, bases and consolidations at this level, that'll be encouraging. That'll help smooth out and, and bottom this MACD sell signal, maybe move us towards a potential buy signal here in the short term. And right now, institutions are the most negatively hedged on record. So what does that mean? There's a lot of institutions betting a lot more downside, right? Uh, what that provides is, is that provides fuel for a pretty decent counter trend rally as if they have to, if this market starts to get some legs to it for any reason, right? Some, some news uh, from the Fed starting to slow down, whatever. If this market gets uh, to have a little bit of leg to it, all those hedges are going to have to come off and that's going to help provide fuel to that rally. Much like we kind of saw this very deep oversold negative sentiment we were talking about in July, everybody was bearish the market that provided a good catalyst for this market to rally. Saw that yesterday. Um, so again, just, you know, there's, as we've talked about previously, you know, use this rally as an opportunity to kind of rebalance risk, uh, raise a little bit of cash here, you know, just be opportunistic with it. You know, this isn't really a great market to be buying a lot of new stuff in because, you know, at the moment, there's still a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen with the Fed. Where are they going to be moving next? You know, are they going to become a little bit more dovish? It doesn't look that way. Uh, just yesterday, Fed speakers out have been talking about needing to combat inflation regardless of the outcome relative to the economy. You know, the, the it, yes, we're going to have to have some pain economically, but we need to fight inflation. So they haven't really backed off that more hawkish rhetoric yet, even though the market kind of keeps hoping, <laughs> they kind of keep hoping, you know, just any day, they're going to come back and start to backpedal a bit on that stance. We'll see if that happens or not. A couple other things, like I said, if we take a look at this market, what was interesting yesterday, two things actually happened technically yesterday. It was good. Um, markets bounced off this rising trend line from the July lows. So again, we have this nice little bullish kind of transaction that's moving in the markets right now. Markets are setting higher levels of lows. So if this bottom yesterday holds, that'll be a higher low than what we saw previously going back to July. That's, that's bullish. So that rising bullish trend line is constructive for the markets. And what you have here is a little bit of a negative divergence between you know, falling MACDs and, and rising bottoms. So again, that's a little bit of a bullish sign. Also, markets kind of bounced right off these supports going back yesterday uh, to back into the May lows and some of the early kind of July rally highs. So that support line is also kind of supporting there as well. So a lot of support here for the markets near term. Again, don't get overly excited. Don't say, oh, Lance said the bottom's in. I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff. But what I'm saying is there's some very important support where market held yesterday. And if we can continue to hold that level of support, that is encouraging. Now, if we break that level of support, and there's a lot of, lot of articles out about this right now, you know, talking about if we break this level of support, you know, we're going to retest those July lows, potentially even set new lows, you know, depending on who you listen to. There's certainly some indications out there right now that, you know, 36 to 3,800 is kind of the target for September, October for the bottom in the markets. And we'll, we'll see what happens. My suspicion is if we start breaking July lows, we're going to have more downside than just 3,600. But, you know, right now, 
pay attention to the support level because again, this is important support. We are starting to see some encouraging kind of positioning signs in the markets, starting to show a little bit of alleviation of some of that negativity as well. So uh, again, you know, be a little cautious here. I would still use this rally to rebalance risk. If you, you know, if your portfolio has been under a lot of pressure this year uh, and, and, and you've had a lot of, of impacts, use this opportunity, use this rally here to kind of just reposition yourself, raise a little bit of cash. It's okay if this was the bottom and markets start to rally back into a bullish mode, that's fine. You'll have plenty of time to put capital back to work. No reason you can't just step back, relax a little bit, and figure out what this market's actually going to do. There's so many different moving pieces between the Euro, the ECB, Japan, the US, Russia. There's so many things that can impact this market from one week to the next. It's hard to make good long-term bets right now. We'll get there, but now's not that time. So, all right, coming back uh, here in a few minutes from the break, I'm going to pick up with Michael Leibowitz. Yesterday, we took on a position of the euro in our portfolios. We'll talk about why we're looking at the euro as a potential opportunity to make some money with. We'll talk about that right after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Take your questions and comments here, of course, uh, on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get by the website. There's a big box right at the top. You've got questions, comments, suggestions, whatever. Um, need some help? Always happy to help you out. Just simply go to realinvestmentadvice.com, fill in the little form, send it to me, and uh, I will certainly take care of you, as we always do every day. That's what we do. Uh, Michael Ewood's joining me this morning as well. So, uh, again, a couple of things <clears throat> kind of going on, and we'll, we're going to get into some kind of different topics this morning. But the first is is that, of course, uh, you know, a couple of Fed members out this week talking about, you know, still needing to be relatively hawkish and, you know, really starting to pay attention to, you know, what's happening with inflation, going to be need to be more aggressive, you know, in terms of rate hikes. Now, the Fed Fund Futures got an 80% probability for a 75 basis point hike. Um, so 75 basis points more, is the Fed done there or are they going to keep going? What do you think? I think they're going to go 75 and I think they're going to get it up over four. And then, you know, whether that's in December or early January. And then I think they start thinking about pausing or going very slow maybe four and a quarter, possibly four and a half, although I'm not sure. But they, 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 the Fed recognizes it takes time for these rate effects to have effect. And they also, I think, are starting to come to the opinion, we could talk about this later, that 
they can't continue to be the most aggressive central bank out there because it's pushing the dollar higher. And there are side effects to that. Not all of them are very good. Um, so I, I think, you know, yesterday, Nick Timmeros came out from the Wall Street Journal, and he's the other Fed member that doesn't work for the Fed. And he basically told the market the Fed's going to pretty much a good chance they're going to go 75. Goldman Sachs followed up Nick and said, yeah, they're going to go 75 and then 50, and they're going to get it up and over four by the end of the year. So, you know, the market seems comfortable. The market was up on the Wall Street Journal yesterday. So, so this is what the Fed does, and they do it to protect, to prepare the market and protect it. So the market is now priced for 75. If they only go 50, that may be bullish for the market. But if they go 75, it's priced in. It was expected. It, it shouldn't have much of an effect. So, you know, and then so, it's, yeah, and I guess that's the question, because now, um, you know, if you take a look at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and quite a few other the kind of the big Wall Street firms, they're now expecting the eurozone to go 75 basis points on, on a rate hike as well. So, again, you know, the Fed's been pretty aggressive about hiking rates. The ECB is in general has been kind of lagging. And now it looks like the ECB is going to try to play catch up here. Now, of course, you know, when we're talking about hiking rates, we have to go back to the base structure of why are we hiking rates? And that's to slow economic growth. And, you know, already, you, you know, the Eurozone's got a tremendous amount of problems from we talked a little bit yesterday about spiraling energy prices and, you know, they just having a, a real tough time there. They're going to have to try to bail out their their derivatives markets. They're going to shut those down. Uh, you know, talking about trying to provide margin line bailouts for electric companies. I mean, just a whole variety of problems. And now you're going to try to, you know, hike rates and tighten monetary policy even further in, in Europe at a time where, you know, you have to suggest that monetary policy is really already pretty tight because of, you know, spiraling energy prices. You know, that potentially causes a feedback loop into the U.S. as well, right? Yeah. I mean, so the Fed, the ECB actually meets today at 8.15, I think, uh, East Coast time. They're probably going to go 75. I think 50 may be a disappointment, but kind of like the Fed, 75 is expected. They're playing catch up and they're, they have, unlike the Fed, I feel like they're juggling more balls in the air. You know, they, they, they have the same inflation we have, probably worse. But they have a big energy problem. They they're not as self-reliant as the U.S., so they're more reliant on Russia, and Russia's withholding gas from them, which is causing problems. It's mm -hmm. causing electricity prices to shoot higher, which is causing high, higher production costs, and it's rippling through the economy. So so the question is, what can the ECB do? There's some things they can do and things they can't do. One thing that is in control is their currency. And the currency has been uh, slipping significantly versus the dollar. It's down, what, 12, 15% year over the year. So, you know, in the US, we don't think about that much. If the, year, if the dollar was up or down 12, 15% against the euro, you know, things we buy in euros are more cheap or more expensive, but you, you have to remember that outside of the U.S., pretty much the dollar is how you buy everything. So in the region, they're buying oil now at the same price as we're buying them, plus 10%, right? 
right? They've gone up 10% more, 15% more because a euro is 10 to 15% cheaper in a dollar. So what's in their control to, to manage inflation? One of it is the euro, right? Just by, if you, you get the euro to rally 10%, just like that, you could help bring inflation down by, you know, roughly 10%, um, or, you know, cut, shave off off some of the costs of those imports, which what's their biggest import and what's their most uh, crucial import as we head into winter? It's energy products. So those are all priced in dollars. So simply by just supporting the euro, you know, not even saying that they have to increase it, just supporting the euro at its current level stops the bleeding. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's interesting because um, when you kind of look at what the, you know, the the policy options that they have, right? So, you know, they could keep their current stance, which is, you know, likely, you know, not going to do a lot for the euro at this point. But the more hawkish they get, potentially, you know, if they start talking about inflation scene uh, to be persistently above trend and they start talking about projections of, of, you know, potentially not negative growth, but very slow growth that could potentially actually bring money back into the euro and help support that higher euro. So, you know, this is kind of, you know, to your point, you know, they have an ability to try to affect some policy. The question, I guess, and, and there's this feedback loop, because again, 40% of corporate profits come from Europe, right? And, and from international companies. So every time our companies sell stuff overseas, right, that's where their profits come from. And, you know, we're just looking at slower economic growth worldwide. And it's interesting right now, you know, all these central bankers are convinced, or at least they're not they're not telling people otherwise, that, you know, they can control a soft landing scenario, right? They can kind of just slow the economy down here a bit, get inflation back down to two percent-ish without throwing everything into a recession. And and you know, that's kind of an interesting situation because they've never been able to actually do that before. And then you throw on all these other kind of exacerbated incidents that are going on, you know, high energy prices, Russia, et cetera, which are well out of their control of monetary policy. It seems like the risk of a recession is a lot higher than what people are, uh, people are ascribing to it right now. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, they'll never say that stuff out loud. They're always going to tell you they're trying to have a nice soft landing. It's, been few and far between that we've ever seen a soft landing engineered by a central bank. An economy on its own can have a soft landing, but when a central bank tries to steer in that, that, that massive plane that's got two engines out onto the <laughs> landing strip, it's very difficult. And then, unlike prior recessions, this time is a little different because of what's going on in Russia and kind of some host trade hostilities with China. It's not the same paradigm that they've been used to operating in. Um, you know, at the same time, valuations for most for real estate, for equity markets are very high. So th there's a lot that they're juggling, some of which they can control, some of which they can't control. And it seems that the, the things they can't control, that Russia and China know they can't control it and they're doing things to exaggerate those problems, right? Mm -hmm. Russia has a leaky gas line all of a sudden, so they can't transport gas to Germany. So China is, is changing what they will sell to the US and to, to uh, Europe in some cases. India is not really playing ball 
with Europe and America. They're, they've become much more independent and willing to deal with Russia. So these things are all out of their control. And then you still have everything from COVID, from the pandemic, from the last two years that hasn't normalized. You, you came into this whole mess with double digit or near double digit inflation. So, you know, there's a lot out of their control and all, all they really can control is that the demand side of the equation with interest rates. Yeah. And, you know, it, it leaves them on shaky ground. They try to be as confident as they can. Yeah, we're going to have a nice soft landing. Yes, yes, the economy will grow slower than normal. But don't worry, it's not going to be a recession. And that's nice. May, I hope they're right. <laughs> but it's often a fairy tale. Exactly. Well, and today it's going to be interesting, too, because not only do we have the ECB announcement today, you know, whether they're going to hike 50 basis points or 75 basis points. Odds are right now about 90 percent that the ECB will hike by 75 basis points today. But then you also have speeches from um, the ECB's Lagarde, the, her, their president. So she'll be speaking after, you know, the, the rate hike. And then we have Jerome Powell out speaking today. Neil Kashkari and the Bank of China's Rogers. So, I mean, you know, we've just like just a, a tremendous number of Fed speakers coming out today that are going to be interesting to watch because, again, the markets are so looking for any type of indication that the Fed might be backing off. And, you know, we'll see what the Fed says today. But I don't think you're going to get that message from anybody today that they're, you know, they're getting close to backing off of hiking rates. No, I think they've been very clear about what they're going to do, what they want to do, or at least what they want us to think. Yeah. And they want us to think that's going to be 50, 75, and they're going to get it up to four by early next year. Yeah, even Neil Kashkari, which is probably one of the most dovish Fed governors out there, you know, he's even been hawkish lately. So that'll tell you a lot. All right, quick break, come back. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the euro. Um, yesterday, we took on a small position of the euro in our accounts, and we'll talk about kind of the anatomy of a trade and, and, and kind of what the thought process was behind that and, and why we think there's an opportunity there. Part of it has to do with what we were just talking about with the central banks. Part of it has to do with economics. We'll be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at Real Investment Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, Michael Leibowitz joining me as well, talking a little bit about ECB, Eurozone, what's happening over there, of course, and uh, the impact here to the United States. And, and, you know, as we said, you know, the Federal Reserve 
um, set to hike rates by 75 basis points at the end of the month. And today, Jerome Powell, Neil Kashkiri, others, lots of Fed speakers today, ECB as well. So we'll get a lot of kind of insight into what they're thinking. And of course, they're you know, their big concern is is inflation, economic growth. And, and one of the big problems for the eurozone has been the strength of the U.S. dollar. You know, uh, you know, despite all the recent headlines, there's been just, you know, numerous articles and videos of people coming out. It's like, oh, the dollar's going to zero and, you know, the, the dollar's going to you're going to lose all your value in the currency. It's a fiat currency. Everything's fiat. Right. Every currency in the world is a fiat currency. Bitcoin is a fiat currency. Everything is a fiat currency. There is nothing backed by a commodity anymore. Um, and there's some reasons for that, and, and that's a, another show for another day. But the reality is, is that all currencies are relative to another currency, right? Uh, even if you're tracking Bitcoin, right? So you want to track Bitcoin prices, it's Bitcoin versus the U.S. dollar, right? So everything is relative to somewhere else. So it's the dollar versus the euro. It's the dollar versus the yen. It's the dollar versus the yuan, and, and therefore, because of that, prices of the dollars, and again, it was interesting during the Trump administration, he was accusing China of being a currency manipulator. We've been manipulating our currency since 1911. So, you know, and that's what every country does. We want to keep a relative balance between our currency and that of other currencies because it makes it, A, it causes economic problems when they get too far out of, out of, out of balance, um, but it's also what uh, allows transactions to occur, right? And so this is why Yuan tries to keep, you know, a relative U.S. dollar peg. And yes, they do fluctuate a little bit from time to time. But when they get too far out of whack, it becomes problematic. And the dollar has been getting a lot stronger over the course of the last year or so because we're the cleanest shirt and the dirty laundry, as the old saying goes, right? And economic growth is better than other countries and, um, stability of the country is still better, although we're trying to screw that up as fast as we can. Um, but, you know, there's a reason that money flows into the U.S. dollar and it's safety, security, liquidity. And, and as Mike was saying in the last segment, every transaction in the world, for the most part, occurs in dollars. You want to buy commodities, you want to transact business, pretty much you do it in dollars everywhere in the world. And, you know, there's you know a, a whole bunch of reasons, again, for that. But this is why the U.S. dollar remains the reserve currency of the world, because of depth, liquidity, safety, et cetera, those very important things that go behind a currency. And the debts of the U.S. guaranteed to be paid by the U.S. And again, you know, despite the fact you may be saying, yeah, but there's nothing behind the dollar. Well, yeah, there actually is. You know, there's trillions of dollars worth of assets behind the U.S. dollar, land, et cetera, oil reserves, all that. But regardless of that, there's still the full faith and credit, and people at this point still believe that the, the, the U.S. government is capable and will pay their debts. And so that keeps money flowing into the U.S. dollar, higher yield than what they can get elsewhere, and it's safe and it's liquid. So there we go. The problem with a higher dollar is that when it gets too far, as I said, when it gets too far out of whack with other currencies, causes economic problems for those countries. Right. Because everything because we do trade everything in dollars, it makes things really expensive for them and it, and it hurts their their economic environment. And so there there comes a problem, a point, I should say, where and this is something that Mike alluded to in the last segment that, you know, central banks will take some action to try to reverse 
that trend to some degree. And if you take a look at what's happening with the Japanese yen, take what's happening with the eurozone, uh, the the euro and the eurozone, the ECB, you know, those currencies have come under a tremendous amount of pressure. Technically, very oversold, right? So just really, you know, kind of out of bounds as far as the technicals go. But there's the fundamental issues as well. Let me uh, bring Mike in on this, and I give it, give you a few thoughts on it as well. Mike, your your yeah. your thoughts on this? Well, there's another key point. Why is the dollar used worldwide? And you mentioned liquidity. And what 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 you meant by liquidity is that our capital markets, where the stock market, bond markets, borrowing markets, et cetera, are far and away the biggest and the most liquid. So what happens is not only do companies abroad need dollars, but a lot of times the cheapest way to borrow dollars to borrow to get dollars is to borrow dollars. So they they these companies borrow dollars. Sometimes they hedge the dollar risks. Sometimes they don't. But when they don't, and that happens in a lot of cases, they take on foreign foreign currency risk. So by foreign currency risk. What that means is that if you're, let's say you're in Germany and you're, you want to borrow U.S. dollars right now, the exchange rate is one for one. So you take your, you borrow your dollars, you convert them to your euros at one to one, you go spend your euros and you build your factory. Now you owe dollars back, both interest and principal. Well, all of a sudden it takes 110 euros to buy a dollar because the euro has depreciated by 10%. So not only do you owe 110 bucks instead of the 100 back, but your interest has also gone up by 10%. So when the dollar's appreciating like it is, it is a tightening. Just as the Fed tightens policy in the US, the dollar is tightening policy around the world and it's making it very expensive for, for borrowers to, to borrow. Now, the other thing that happens is, okay, you're that German manufacturer, and all of a sudden it takes 110 euros to buy a dollar. You're like, I got to pay off this loan. So what they'll do is they'll go buy dollars and pay off the loan. The problem is this becomes circular. As, as borrowers try to get out of these trades, they keep pushing the dollar up more and more. And I, I think this is where things get interesting. And the central banks be it their central bank or, I'm sorry, governments, be it the central bank or treasury, intervene in foreign currency markets. This isn't a myth, a rumor. This They do this in the public, just like they buy bonds in the public. And from time to time, they'll go in and they'll intervene because they think their currency is too cheap or too rich, almost always versus the dollar. And that's probably been going on in Europe. It's probably been going on in Japan. But you look at the dollar, the dollar euro, the dollar yen, and you're saying, what are you talking about, Mike? It, it's the euro has been collapsing, the yen's been collapsing more. They're not intervening. Well, they probably were intervening. It's just not having the effect they wanted it to have, or it did. It, it could have been worse. So, so there's another step. So, so first of all, let's talk about this, Lance. When they intervene, what do they have to do? They have to sell their dollar assets so that they can buy the euro or the yen, right? What are their dollar assets? They're bonds. In, in almost all cases, they're U.S. Treasury bonds, probably some stocks and some other things, but predominantly U.S. bonds. So in order to protect their currency, they have to sell bonds. 
So when we look at the U.S. bond market, the, the question I think that many people struggle with is why are yields going up so much? You look at the economy, it's weakening. You look at inflation expectations, they've been relatively flat to low. You look at the normal suspect, the usual suspects, and there's, there's no reason why yields should be rising. You even look at QT. During periods of QT, yields fall. So, so all the usual suspects don't point to that. So then you say, okay, supply demand. But the Treasury is not issuing an incredible amount of assets. They were issuing a lot more the last two years, actually. They're still issuing a lot, but it's not necessarily a Treasury supply problem. So what is it? It's probably these countries that are selling, not because they want to, because they have to, because they're trying to protect their currency. Now, at some point, the U.S. will step in and say, you know what, enough selling our bonds. We don't, we can't handle higher yields. We have an incredible amount of debt in this country and including the federal, you know, especially the federal government. And we can't continue to see interest rates rising at the rate they're rising because we're going to have five, six, seven hundred billion more on the federal deficit just because of interest expense at the rate we're going in a couple of years. So, so, so what can happen? Well, the Federal Reserve has created what the, they call these currency swap lines, and that allows for the central banks of all these countries to do these massive dollar swaps where they can effectively support their currency in, using these swap lines and avoid having to sell assets. So what does it do for them? It, it, if the Fed opens these lines and if they participate, it supports the euro. It will probably get the euro to, to rise possibly significantly against the dollar. And it stops the the euro, the, the ECB from selling treasury bonds. It's almost a win-win at this point, Lance. And and it and it helps, you know, helping the euro appreciate ultimately helps their inflation problem. Right. And and I think it's interesting. I mean, we did a piece of commentary on our day. It's in our daily commentary today. If you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on our daily commentary, uh, you can read it now. And, you know, we actually put a couple of charts in there. One was kind of what Mike's talking about in particular, which is that the, you know, decline in, you know, relative currencies around the world have been synchronized. The, the euro, the, the yen, the, the, the German bun, et cetera, all, all declining, right? And this has led to a whole variety of other problems. And as, and as, we're, and as Mike's talking about, and one thing we'll we'll talk about when we come back from the break is, you know, why now, um, you know, is there a potential and, and why are we looking at adding bonds to our portfolio as well? And how this whole decline in the eurozone, the FX, you know, problem, et cetera, all feeds back into the bond situation, as Mike was just alluding to a second ago. We'll talk more specifically about the trade setup, why we did it and what we're looking to get out of it. Be right back after the break.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. As we get closer to the open this morning, futures about flat. Dow's up about 11 points. NASDAQ futures down 13. S&P's about flat this morning as well. So, again, you know, just a lot of headlines coming out today. Markets are going to kind of just kind of wait in the on the sidelines until they actually start to get some of these announcements out. So again, you know, kind of all eyes focused on both the ECB as well as Jerome Powell today. So, you know, lots of comments out today to kind of give the market some direction. We'll see how the markets handle it. Again, nice rally yesterday from very oversold conditions. What's important about today is that we don't violate yesterday's lows. That's the important thing. And as long as we hold that support, that's a good thing, at least technically right now. So we'll see how we go from there. Now, just for the break, uh, Michael was talking about, you know, the impact of, you know, what happened, talking about, you know, the currency trade in general, what, what you know, the importance of, you know, the currency trade, et cetera, and why currencies are important to, you know, ec- economics and, you know, why it's not just uh, a function of, you know, just, you know, a currency being one price or another. It has a lot of economic impacts, as I was saying at the beginning of the last segment, 40% of corporate profits come from overseas. So the dollar has a big impact on how much we export because, uh, again, you know, if all things else are equal, right, and 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 as Mike said a second ago, the euro declines 10% relative to the dollar, well, now everything's 10% more expensive for them to buy overseas, right, because they have to pay instead of a dollar, uh, instead of one euro for a one dollar's worth of goods, they can pay a dollar ten. So, you know, when prices go up, people have to consume less because there's only so much money, right? So, so currency valuations make a lot of difference in the world. And as I said, when things get too far out of whack, both technically and fundamentally, you know, you typically are going to get a reversal. And, and one thing that we did yesterday is we added a small position, kind of a starter trade in our portfolios of the euro, buying a bit of the euros, uh, buying a bit of euros. Um, and the reason is that if the Fed is, if the ECB is very hawkish, and start making moves to support the euro, which we think there's a possibility they will. That's going to help lift the euro relative to the dollar. And, and the dollar is very overbought technically. It's had a big run. And so just from a technical basis, it looks like a decent setup for a trade, at least short term. And it may turn out to be a longer term opportunity as well. That also, though, feeds into our bond positioning. And we also added to some of our longer dated bonds yesterday, rebalanced our portfolio back up. To, to model weights in our, in our longer dated bond portfolios. And um, rather than me going through all this, let me just jump over here to Mike, let him uh, talk about it a bit. You know, what are your thinkings here on, on how the strength of the euro potentially affects the bond trade as well? Bottom line is if we presume that the ECB, among other central banks, has been selling bonds to help support their currency and they don't have to do that anymore, 
either because the euro rallies because they went 75 and they're getting much more aggressive and or the Fed introduces swap lines, the euro should have a decent rally. And, you know, the other thing going on here is Russia. And we've talked about Russia, but the world, you know, this isn't Ukraine against Russia. The U.S. has given a lot of money to Ukraine. Europe is supporting Ukraine every way they can. So some of this is about fighting Russia, so to speak. And in fighting Russia, we have to, you know, I think we feel the need to help Europe. Europe is dealing with natural gas prices that are that are five to ten times what they are here. They're dealing with incredibly high electric bills. They if they have a cold winter, they are going to suffer. So some of this is trying to help them out. And the best way to help them out is with a stronger euro. Mm -hmm. So as we go into winter with the dollar, you know, very overbought with the euro, very oversold. This looks like a great setup to to invest a little bit in the euro, maybe add to it. Again, Lance said there's a starter trade, maybe add to it. And uh, we, we think it should appreciate. Now, if you look at a graph of the euro and the yen and uh, and bond prices, they're they're one in the same. They all look the same. They're all the same line. And again, they're all linked at the hip. So if we see the dollar weaken, we should probably also see yields start to fall. And again, looking at the economy, looking at inflation, knowing that QT is going on is all supportive of bond yields. Mm -hmm. And I'm, Lance, I'm going to put out an article next week that graphs all this stuff to show you that the prior relationships where a strong economy equals higher yields, weak economy equals lower yields has completely reversed. As the economy has weakened, yields have risen. Inflation expectations have been the same for a long time, yet mm -hmm. yields have shot higher. All these relationships have broken down. So and, we and, think and that. Why, and why do you think that is? I think a lot of it is the currency. The mm -hmm. dollar has been on fire. It has been rising tremendously, and that's because the Fed has been much more aggressive than any other central bank. But you know, you may be thinking, well, the Fed's raising rates aggressively, why would we own our own bonds? Well, first of all, the Fed only raises very short-term rates, and that is to affect the economy. The more they raise short-term rates, the more it's going to slow down the economy. When you're buying a 10-year bond or a 30-year bond, yes, you're focused on the next six months or a year of economic growth, but there's also nine other years of economic growth that the mm -hmm. Fed is, is dampening. Right. So, and you're also dampening inflation, not just for the next few months, but for a long period after that. So, you know, when we when, when you look at 10 year bonds, forget about what the Fed's doing and actually kind of think in the opposite way. As a as a long term bond holder, you want the Fed to be aggressive. You want them to fight and kill inflation. Inflation is the bane of bondholders. And if the Fed can be successful in crushing inflation, that should benefit all bonds, but especially longer term bonds. Then you then if the you know, if 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 the euro can rise, if the yen can rise, if the dollar can fall, that's also very supportive of bond yields. So, look, we're in a very unique environment, right? Inflation is running eight, nine percent. Things are very different. We're we're, you know, in a proxy war with Russia. We're in a trade war with China. There's a lot going on. We have midterm elections in two months. So so the markets are skittish, stock and bond markets. 
but but in the bond market, we think this is yields are not yields are too high versus what is economically and inflation wise uh, where they should be. And that is why we increased we nudged up our bond position yesterday and we added the euro trade as a starter trade. And, you know, like you said, may add more to it. Yeah. And, and again, I think, you know, and again, you know, everything when we're building a position, a portfolio, everything starts out as a trade. And look, there's no guarantee that any of our analysis is correct. Right. I mean, you know, we may have the no. bet, you know, we've done the work, we've done the homework, but it doesn't mean that just because our homework says that this is how, you know, what should occur doesn't mean it will. Right. Markets are their own organism. And Things, uh, you know, can certainly do the opposite of what many nobody expected the dollar to be as strong as it was. You know, if you do go back a year ago, everybody was predicting the demise of the dollar. And yet the dollar has just been running like a scalded ape over the last year or so. So, you know, it's it's just been, you know, one of those things where, you know, analysis doesn't always work out well. So part of portfolio management is is starting out small and letting your thesis play out. And then as it plays out, you add to it. You know, one of the mistakes a lot of investors make is they go in with really big positions. And then when it, and when it doesn't work out that way, there's nowhere for them to go except to sell and get out of the position. So, you know, it's just the way we approach risk management. It's part of what we call sizing a trade. And, and that's just the way we kind of start things out. But again, you know, we're also still, you know, long, you know, other stocks in our portfolio as well, because, again, you know, markets are oversold here. We think there's going to be a rally. And, you know, so we're always looking for opportunities to, to make some money. And again, as we've talked about, you know, this oversold condition in the market, when it gets back to overbought, you know, we're, we're going to take some money off the table and, and raise some more cash. Because, again, you know, we're not out of the woods yet as far as this market goes. You know, you know, are we in a bear market? You know, it certainly feels that way. Technically, no, we're not in the bear market, but fundamentally and emotionally, it certainly feels that way. So there's a lot of things that can happen. And, and as Mike was talking about earlier, with the Fed, you know, continuing to aggressively hike rates, if, you know, if, if you know, the kind of the neutral rate, according to the Fed, is around 4%, we're currently at two and a quarter. So, you know, you got another point three quarters to go to get to the neutral rate. That's a lot of pressure on the economy from higher rates. Mortgage rates are already over 6%. That's a pressure on the housing market. We're seeing housing prices come down. We're seeing consumers really kind of struggle to make ends meet. We're seeing you know savings savings rates drop to very low levels. The level of savings relative to income is dropping to very low levels. Uh, we're seeing credit card debt going up as consumers are having to shift to, to pay for things on credit cards. You know, those don't bode well for continued economic growth. And, and again, as Mike said earlier, while the Fed certainly hopes they can navigate this, you know, kind of soft landing in the economy, you know, they're in a two engine plane with four engines out right now. Um, you know, that's going to be one of the bigger issues. And, and if we do get into a recession, the impact to markets and assets are, uh, are obviously a lot different than, than a soft landing. So, Mike, real quick, about 30 seconds, closing thought. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying the risk of this trade is not that we got it right or wrong, but that we're early to it, that that we are right, that the dollar is going to weaken, the euro is going to strengthen, bond yields will reverse course, but that may not happen till November or December. Yeah. You know, like we were joking, we're trying to catch a falling knife. Yeah. And that's never pleasant unless you do catch the handle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Mike. Uh, all right. That wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website. Some commentary about the euro, the, about our euro trade is in our daily market commentary. 
Um, if you're a subscriber to SimpleVisor.com, we have the entire portfolio trade analysis laid out already in our portfolio trade commentary from yesterday. That's on the website, SimpleVisor.com. So get by the website, RealInvestmentAdvice.com. Get our latest blog post. Mike's article is out uh, from yesterday talking about the consumer and staples versus discretionary. That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com, where you're there. Send us your questions, comments, need help, happy to do it for you. Just send us an email. We'll take care of you, realinvestmentadvice.com. Stick around. Three minutes on markets and money. Be coming up just here real shortly. Don't go away.